Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hi, James. Hey, Scott. Welcome back. Welcome back. Another year. Same podcast. Yes. Excited to get after it again. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited to talk about our, our uh, podcast today, our que- the question we're going to answer, because it's actually very timely. It's a good time of year to look at this. Yes. And, you know, we start the year, we talk about looking at things differently. And one of the things that you're looking at is how much are you spending? Mm-hmm. And now if you're still working, great. You're spending probably, hopefully, what's coming in and no more and still able to save. Yes. If you are retired and living off your portfolio, or if you hope to be retired one day and want to know how much you can live off your portfolio, it's helpful to know how much can my portfolio sustainably generate based upon what we know about how markets and investments work. Yeah. So today we're going to answer the question, what is a sustainable withdrawal rate? Mm. Yeah. Which I'm actually really glad we're going to get around to this. This is one where when you're coming up to retirement, there can be a lot of anxiety about this. Oh, yeah. So I'm glad we're going to kind of dive into um, the thought process around it. Yeah, and this is good. This isn't just for if you are retired. You know, obviously, if you're retired, this is very relevant. But even if you're if you want to retire one day. Yeah. Well, you need to know how much do you need to have saved to be able to get there. Absolutely. So by understanding how much can a portfolio generate, then you can work backwards and say, okay, how much of a portfolio do, you, do I need to have to be able to generate that income in the future? And then from where I am today, what do I need to do to get there? So Agreed. should be very relevant. So where I've heard this thing called 4% withdrawal rate. This is a rule of thumb. That's what I think most people have heard of. Where does that come from? And is that the be all end all? Yeah. So that comes from an advisor who, who was an engineer by training. Um, Bill Bengen, and he did, um, he did research on this back in the nineties mm-hmm. where he basically went and took the data of the stock market and the bond market. And he constructed different types of portfolios. You know, so when we talk about an 80, 20 stock bond portfolio or a 60, 40 stock bond portfolio, he constructed all of those various types. And he looked at what is he he didn't want to answer the question of what is the percentage that we can take that should be okay he answered the question of what is the amount of money that clients can withdraw so that they have a very high success rate mm-hmm. over a 30 year period of retirement right because when you are retiring you don't want to just know that you're probably going to be okay right you want to know with a pretty high degree of certainty you don't want to you don't want to spend 20 years and then realize the tank is empty Shoot. that's a big problem that yes which is where that anxiety comes from right so so the the four percent rule which is what it's sometimes called it, it technically wasn't the four percent rule um he actually found that you could withdraw a little bit more than four percent um but that's kind of how the the newspapers and and kind of the the media took it on mm-hmm. was four percent, but um I'll let you take it from here on, on that. Yeah, and so it's, it's simple findings. What is if you do have that four percent withdrawal rate? There's a pretty high success rate over a thirty year retirement, like a very high success rate. If you're starting with sixty percent in his 
studies and his back tests, 60% in the S&P 500. So to simulate the stock portion of your investments and 40% in US treasury bonds. So that was a very high success rate. A couple of issues with that that give current retirees maybe uh, some some skepticism or some reason to dive deeper into this. One is at the time that he did this study, treasury bonds were yielding around 5%. Today, the current 10-year treasury yield is just under 1% as of this recording. So that's something. But a bigger thing is one of the challenges of Bangin's research is it did not pay any regard to what happened in the stock market. Meaning it simply said, what if you took out 4% each and every year, but adjusted for inflation, but never increased or decreased that that withdrawal, depending on what actually happened in the stock market. So what I mean by that is, let's say, for example, you have a million dollar portfolio, 4% of that is $40,000, so 3,300 per month. Well, if inflation increases by 33%, well, this year you take 3,300, but next year you take 3,400. So that $100 per month increases because of your 3% cost of living adjustment. So that's what the research showed is very safe. But what it didn't stress test is what if the stock market did really great versus what if the stock market did really poorly. And so what people found or what other researchers found is that might be a fairly conservative withdrawal rate, just because if you add some what you might call guardrails in and make some adjustments based on whether the market was up or down, you could potentially take more out of your portfolio, but it would take some more dynamic ongoing work to get to that point. It wasn't just to set it and forget it. Yeah, good points all around. A couple of points I'm going to add to deepen this a little bit more. If you ever want to get really geeky on a podcast, go listen to Michael Kitz's podcast, Financial Advisor Success. He actually had Bill Bangan on a little while ago. And hearing Bill Bangan, the points that you're making are really valid. But hearing back what you're saying, I want to touch on them just for a minute. Where we said like when Bangan did the research at the time, treasury bonds were 5%. That's true, but he used data from the 1920s all the way through. And there were periods of time when the treasury yields were lower. Mm-hmm. And now, so he was actually, he was always, and to, to, to James's point, because James is nailing the point. Um, the other thing was like the stock market could do really well or could do really poor. He wanted, he did not care what the stock market or the bond market did necessarily. He wanted to use all the data that he had and answer the question, what is the highest percentage we can take and still be safe yes. or sustainable is the better way to think of it, right? And that's where he decided that 4% number, which technically was a little bit more, and then to get a little more nuanced, when he later went back and added international markets into it, he was able to increase this number even a little bit more again. Um, but with that, taking that number and then bumping it up by inflation kind of made it really simple. So it's like, Hey, you have a million dollars. Cool. We're going to give you a $40,000 withdrawal and we'll bump it up by inflation every year. I'm going to mail you a check. You no longer have to worry about what the stock market's doing. Right. Very rare that we need to worry about it. Right. So that's, that's the little extra nuance I would add. But to, to your point, he actually found that the average number over the entire data set that you could do a withdrawal rate and still be okay was 6%. Mm-hmm. So there was, but there were also a few couple periods of time when you wouldn't make it. So, so realize that sustainable withdrawal rate is designed with the worst case scenarios in mind. Right. Right. And, and so this is a very, probably a great foundation for starting. Really? Say, okay. At like what point, point do you know that you are, are going to be okay, regardless of the mix of asset allocation or the, your asset allocation or uh, different outcomes in the stock market? <laughs> yep. What then happened to build upon this research is a guy named John Guyton came into play and he did some research in the mid 2000s 
that not just looked at what's the right starting point that if you just set it and forget it and want that check, like Scott's saying on a monthly basis, that you can just expect that throughout retirement and never have to make any adjustments. Guyton came along and said, what does this look like if you also do account for good years or bad years or different changes to inflation? So create a more dynamic approach that said, can we increase the amount that you can sustainably take out of your portfolio if you've built a few rules into this and what he called guardrails and the way that you take your distributions? Yeah. And that's kind of a nice way to think of it with guardrails is like, you know, your portfolio, your portfolio, your car is driving down the road and you're not touching the steering wheel and hopefully it's just a straight road and you'll be fine. But if eventually you get to a point where there's a curve, obviously you're not going too fast, you're going to hit a guardrail and it's going to help correct you. Or you go to the other side of the road, it's going to hit a guardrail and correct you again. Right. And so it just creates this this set of rules that makes it so that you know what you get. And there's also a rule about what happens if you hit a guardrail. Mm-hmm. And let's go through those rules because I think they're helpful to know. <laughs> and to start with this, there there's a few different things he tested in different analyses, whether depending on how much you stock you have, how much do you increase or decrease your withdrawal rates by, different triggers. So there's some different details of this, but in general... What he found was that with a diversified portfolio of 65% in stocks and the remaining 35% in cash and bonds, instead of a withdrawal rate of 4%, he found that it could generate a withdrawal rate of between 5.2% to 5.6% with what he called a 95% confidence rate. Meaning if you backtest this or run it through many different scenarios, 19 times out of 20, it's going to come out successful. Mm -hmm. So here's the four rules to his approach. Here's how it differs than the Bangin research of showing what more dynamic approach can we take? Here's the four rules. The first was called the portfolio management rule. This rule just said, if you're going to take this approach, where is cash taken from each year? And what that means is if you have different types of stock and different types of bonds or different types of cash, and they're performing differently, it was almost the order in which you need to look at each of those investments to see where am I going to take income from? What investment am I going to pull from this year? And so it starts with taking excess stock returns. So if stocks had a great year, do you take that excess return? then excess bonds, and then cash, et cetera. So there's just almost an order of operations of where are you taking cash from each year in order to be able to bump up the amount you can take from your portfolio and have that be a sustainable withdrawal rate. The second was called the withdrawal rule. So the withdrawal rule simply said that there's losses in the portfolio, then there's no inflation adjustment made in spending. So Scott, if you have a million bucks in your portfolio and you retire, and let's say you're taking out 50,000 this year. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, if the stock market's down 20%, that's okay. You don't have to cut your spending. You just don't get an inflation adjustment next year. So 2021 rolls around, you can still take out Mm 50,000. Whereas in the prior research, the the quote unquote 4% rule, that 50,000 would then still get a 3% cost of living adjustment based on how that was calculated. Mm -hmm. So by saying, hey, Scott, instead of taking a lower withdrawal rate of say 4%, but never freezing that, you can start with a higher rate But if the stock market's down, if there's losses in your portfolio, then just don't take an inflation adjustment for that year. Right. The third rule is called the capital preservation rule. So it said spending is cut 10% if the current withdrawal rate rises to 20% more than its initial level and the planning age is still more than 15 years away. So that gets a little complicated. The planning age is what he called kind of like the age of termination. So how long are you going to live? Five or something like that. We don't really know. Yeah, but we don't know how long we're going to live. But it's saying if your current withdrawal rate rises 20% more than where it started in terms of its percentage of the portfolio as a whole, you need to cut spending by 10% at that point. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, I mean, it it sounds a touch wonky as as we think talk through the definition, but just think of it this way. You have a million dollar portfolio, you start taking your draws on it, 
everything's fine. Well, just think about the problem with like, imagine that that, that portfolio then drops, uh, let's just say it drops 30%. So now it's worth $700,000, but you're taking the same amount of money out. Well, that's a problem because we need to allow that the, the stock market to get to return for us right. to build this asset back up. So if instead we just choose to take a little bit less for a little while, it will allow us to regain that growth. So that's really what that guardrail is doing there. And then there's actually a similar rule on the other side of it, right? So you're going to lock in a certain level of spending, but if you have insanely high growth, we're going to say like, hey, you should probably take more out because now you're going to you know, have more than enough left over. Right. So that's called the prosperity rule or the prosperity guardrail. But the point of it is it gives you a sense of what to do if things are going really well or going poorly. And it gives you uh, something that you can choose to do. And the spending cut difference of 10%, that might sound like a lot, but typically when people come to us and are retiring, their their portfolio is not their only source of income. Right. Typically they're going to get something like social security or they might have a pension or they may have rental properties. So it's not typical. It's very rare that the only place they're getting funds from are their investments. Good point. So this isn't 10% cut of your overall income. It's 10% cut and, and temporarily, we'll add a temporary cut of the portion of your income that's coming from your portfolio. <clears throat> if your portfolio then recovers, then the prosperity rule kicks in that you're talking about here. This is the fourth part where spending is actually increased in the year that the withdrawal rate falls 20% below its initial level. But, so. uh, but also just to take a step back for a second, if if you think of it, you have you really have like from from a sustainable withdrawal rate standpoint for like the the research that's been done that's kind of entrenched in what we do here there are two options the first option is you choose to take less and inflate it for the rest of your life mm-hmm. and most of the time when you do that what we find is people typically end up having the amount that they put in or more when they leave, like leave the earth it's mm-hmm. just from from and not saying that happens in the future but that's typically what we've seen mm-hmm. and the other option is you choose to take more now mm-hmm. But know that you may have to choose to cut back a little bit. Exactly. And so the question is like, do you want more now to live into retirement now when you're younger and healthier and have the ability to do more? Because the other side of this is when you go look at spending in retirement, people typically spend more in retirement in their earlier years than they do in their later years. Mm-hmm. When you just look at the average spending of data across the board. Right. Right. So this is a way to allow yourself safety still. Because you're going to choose to build up a war chest and make sure it stays safe. And you're going to choose to cut back if there's a reason to. But at the same time, you can choose to take more now. Right. Um, if you don't like that, though, if that that scares you that you might ever have to change that amount, I would say stay away from the guardrails approach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go for a more traditional uh, Bengen sustainable withdrawal rate approach. Yeah, I think that's a great point is what's the trade-off is do you want to take the set it and forget it approach? Okay, I know this amount is sustainable forever. Uh, and of course, we can never guarantee that going to the future, but just looking at past back tests and start with that. Or do you want to take an approach that allows you to spend more and enjoy more of your money, but you might need to make some adjustments along the way? Yeah. The other thing that that's, I think, important when we when we have for retirees, especially is like, just realize that you're setting up, you're setting up your own paycheck here is what you're really doing. And you're setting it up with we've the research has been done to see what is the de minimis amount. That makes it so it's very unlikely you run out of funds. Mm-hmm. That's the key. And then the question is, if things get troublesome, what are the changes that we're going to make so that you're okay? And you have that all planned out ahead of time. Right. Then you're okay. Exactly. Exactly. What I, what I like about this approach 
the Guyton approach, the guardrails approach, is it changes the question from what is the chance that I run out of money, which is a lot of people's concern, into what's going to happen to my purchasing power? Because theoretically, with the Guyton approach, you're not going to run out of money. You just have to take cutbacks in your spending. Yeah. But if your spending is constantly a percentage of your remaining balance, assuming you don't take any huge lump sums out of your portfolio for the cost, and there could be costs, whether it's healthcare or travel or whatever it is, you don't run out of money. It just could diminish how much you could spend from your portfolio over time. Totally. And another thing that you can do, another way to think of this at home, like imagine you're doing this yourself and you're like, okay, I know I need X number of dollars to maintain our lifestyle. And we know we're going to get Z from social security. So we need Y from our portfolios. Well, maybe you choose to set up um, a sustainable withdrawal rate using one of these two things. And you, f- you make sure that you have a portfolio designed to sustain that. Right. Well, then if you have excess left over outside of that, you can put that to work elsewhere or do other things with it or choose to use it even more so as like a fun money, like I'm going on ridiculous European vacations and it's not built into my normal spend, but normal spend's already accounted for now. Right. And then by the time you've gone through all of that, if you go through the the, the special funds over the next few years that you're maybe gifting to kids or doing things like that. And then you get to the point where that's depleted because you've made all the plans and that's gone. Well, then by then, maybe it happens over a decade. You go back and look at your portfolio and see like, do we have excess in addition to what we needed again? Mm-hmm. Did did really pros- pros- did prosperous growth happen? If it did, cool, we can create the new account again or replenish it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you choose just to keep going as is. Absolutely. Yeah, the, there's different ways of approaching it. And I, I really like this approach in that it's adaptable and yeah. it's not a set it and forget it, cookie cutter approach that applies to everyone. It applies differently based on when you retire, what the market does, what your income needs are, what your expenses are. So to me, um, I really like this approach. Yeah. I would, uh, the caveat, I want to give two caveats here. One is Bengen's research was about 30 year retirement horizon. Um, I know that, um, Guyton's retirement horizon was a 40 year horizon. Um, if you're listening, this as like a fire movement type person or something like that, please realize that that the higher the percentage, the less likely it is to last in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. So, so if you're 30 and looking to retire tomorrow, uh, a 4% withdrawal rate, probably not a good idea. Yeah. And you probably need to dial that back a bit. Mm-hmm. You may not need to dial it back as much as you think, but like three and a half percent, 3%, something right. like that. The more you dial back what you're taking out, the more sustainable it becomes. Exactly. And this research was done toward with an eye towards kind of your traditional retirement dates of 60 to 65, sometime in that time horizon. So planning for what could be a 30 to 40 year retirement. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Let's see, any any other details you want to add to this before we summarize it and I think we're good. wrap it up? What so I think? think the bottom line, yeah, there's, there's of course, a lot of details with this, which is, okay, if you're going to do this, what is the mix, right mix of investments with guy, which Guyton goes into? So this isn't just saying any portfolio can generate these returns. If your portfolio is all cash or all bonds, there's no chance. It's just not going to get the rate of return needed. Well, why don't we just speak but, to that quickly? So. Yeah. All of these portfolios are designed around this concept of about 60, 40 mm-hmm. stock and bond. Now, some maybe a little more, some maybe a little less. And, and Bengen spoke about that when he was talking to Kitsis. But the whole reason that this works is because you're allowing around 60% of your money to go be invested in companies that are going to grow, yeah, that are going to create purchasing power for you in the future. But you still need that 40%-ish to basically be a ballast, a safe place to withdraw money from while the stock market does poorly because yep. there will be times when it happens. Yep. But then if you do that and you realize like, hey, I just get this paycheck based on these rules that we have set up. Maybe you do it yourself. 
Maybe you have an advisor who helps you with it so you don't accidentally make a wrong mistake in an emotional time of distress. Um, you're going to be okay, more than likely. Yeah, absolutely. And that is a good point. It's not just a 4% that you can expect or 5% that you can expect regardless of your portfolio. But if you're doing what Scott's saying, have that mix of growth assets, of income assets, of preservation assets, that's going to help to allow you to realize some of these projections that they're running. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. So to answer the question directly, I guess, just in summary, uh, what is a safe withdrawal rate? Well, it started around four, low fours was kind of the conventional wisdom. Since then, what we've seen is if you allow for the guardrails, allow for the more dynamic approach and make some adjustments, both to the positive and, and negative, I'll call it upside and downside, yeah. you could afford to take more out of that between the five, five and a half percent Potentially, range. Yeah. And, and keep in mind, this is all pre-tax. So if you have a million dollar portfolio all in an IRA and you say, okay, well, I only need to spend 50,000 per year after taxes, it, that's 5% withdrawal rate, but it's not factoring in taxes. Totally. So this is 5% or 4%, whatever these numbers are, is always pre-tax. Keep that in mind. Um, but that gives a sense of how much you can expect withdrawal. Yep. So hopefully we simplified the answer, but also made it complex all at the same time. Yeah, hopefully more of the former. No, but maybe I, some I of the latter. I think I think we did a little bit of both today, but I think the the key is to understand. We gave you the nuance on how those numbers came about, right? Yeah. And I think the key at the end of the day is like find a plan that works for you that you can stick with. Yes. And then at the same time, like always have Plan B designed in case Plan A doesn't work. Because there's always a chance plan A doesn't work. Yeah. But make sure plan B is actually something that you can really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great feedback. Well, that's all I have. Let's see if anything else. Nope, that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you next time. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.